0: Welcome back to the Jason Rant Show. This is Tim Gatos, guest hosting for Jason today as he is traveling, promoting his new book. Comes out tomorrow, What's Killing America? You got to pick it up. I'm so glad to be with us. And I tell you, we got Max producing today. We've got John Scholes coming up in a few minutes, the CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association, to talk with us about the city budget as well as the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. (laughs) There's a lot to chat about But let's find out what's trending. What's trending in Seattle? Seattle has surpassed the 2022 homicide toll with three months left in 2023. The surge in homicides that began with the onset of the COVID pandemic has yet to crest in King County, where the number of killings has now exceeded 2020 figures is on pace to surpass totals. From the next two years of heightened violence, there have been 114 homicides committed in King County as of Friday when two men were killed in separate Seattle incidents. That's five deaths shy of the 119 homicides investigated in both 2021 and 2022. This year's tally has exceeded the county's 113 homicides in 2020, a figure that was up from 73 the year before exactly half of this year's killings have occurred in Seattle which has total 57 homicides including Fridays in Belltown and Columbia City and this is just really unbelievably tragic news Seattle police they investigated 33 homicides in 2019 they investigated 53 in 2020 41 in 21 and 54 in 2022 so with 3 Months left in the year, uh, we will probably break, unfortunately, the 1994 record of 69 homicides in a single year. Um, For a long time, we like to, I think, pride ourselves on how safe of a city we are. I don't, we cannot say that. We cannot say that. It is just tragic to see uh, what's happening um, on our streets right now. And uh, again, in a few minutes, we'll talk to. John Scholes about this from the downtown Seattle association and get, get his thoughts. But uh, this is something that we, again, same thing with homelessness. We've got to take a step back and say, what is happening here? The policies, the things that we're doing, they're not, they're not working. They're just not working. And we have to emphasize public safety. We talked in the last segment, Max, about uh, Lumen field and T-Mobile park. Uh, that lumen field is one of the more dangerous uh, <laughs> fields after a, a new study that came out and there there's a lot of back and forth about are uh, are is the narrative about Seattle is is that true right there's a narrative on one side or the other and i tell you there there's there can be truth to multiple things and this is one of those things that numbers don't lie <laughs> the the numbers don't lie and it looks at this point that we will this year 2023 set the all-time record for homicides in the city of Seattle that does not lie and that is a major concern for me i i live here in seattle i'm a seattle resident i'm raising my wife and i are raising our four daughters here in seattle that is a concern we have a lot of friends uh, many probably who are listening right now. Are like, yeah, that's why I, uh, that's why I moved out. That's why I moved out of the city. I moved up to Edmonds and Linwood and Ennis Arden and different places up north. And but there's a lot of folks like me who are like, I don't, I don't want to move out of Seattle. I love Seattle. Man, get it to. Can we get it together? Can we please just get it together? Max, what do you think? Can we get this thing together? Or man, what is I mean, happening?
1: it's a great question and and don't even don't mention the the homicide numbers down in tacoma as well those are uh coming in at extremely high rates and i mean it's just it's scary stuff you see so often people losing their lives uh, and you know there's often some underlying issues you know we touch on crime we touch on drugs we touch on policy all of those are at least, you know, small to large contributing factors, they contribute in some way to this homicide total being as high as it is. And, you know, Jason talks about it a lot. It's uh, the the local news doesn't always connect the dots as to why this is happening. Everybody likes to talk about what is happening, but it's the why is this happening that more people need to open their eyes to.
0: Well, before the, before the pandemic started and when the, we were getting into lockdown stage, it's in... <laughs> I said on so many times, like, this is not going to go well. This is, this is not going to go well. This is not the solution. This is not the answer. We're already dealing with mental health issues in our city, in our country. And you combine that with some of our policies of legalizing drugs here. I remember a number of years ago when we legalized Marijuana and it, and it, the conversation around that was like oh, it's just recreational and it's just whatever, no big deal. And but I tell you, you now you look at all the traffic accidents we're having. We're we're, we're not only are we to set the homicide record in Seattle, but we are setting uh, traffic fatality records in the state of Washington as well. And when you look at the details of that and you look at the information. Of that, and you see how many people are driving high after they, you know, smoked a blunt and went out and had a fun and whatever it is. And the, I have so many friends who are like, ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's just recreational marijuana. And, but studies have shown, in fact, the Seattle Times, they, a number of months ago, they wrote a unbelievable article about the impact of of cannabis and the certain kinds of cannabis that has this incredible impact and effect on people. And a lot of folks just want to kind of poo poo that, say, ah, oh, whatever, it's not a big deal, you know. And I'm just, you know, just relaxing and chilling. And but there there is, I think, direct correspondence between how we have approached uh, legalization of, of drugs. How it impacts traffic fatalities, how it impacts mental health issues, psychotic disorders. I mean, look at the the amount of psychotic disorders and the mental health issues we're seeing on our streets. It's all of that. It's an ecosystem. All of this with the homicides in our city, with the mental health issues, with the legalization of drugs. It's just an, all an ecosystem of of a lack of just real foundation and accountability in our society, and, we, and we've and we lost accountability. Accountability has kind of become a bad word. A, a friend of mine a number of months ago wrote an op-ed in the Seattle Times. I really appreciate it. He says the title was Compassion Says Yes and No. And a lot of times we think compassion just says yes. No, compassion also says no. Again, going back to parenting, if I just give my kids everything they want, and yeah, 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 yeah. No, that, that would I would be a absolutely terrible parent if I if I did that. Compassion has to say yes and no, and there has to if if all of us as humans, whether I'm whether I'm ten years old or whether I'm eighty, everybody needs accountability in their life. We all need it. We all need some level of accountability to help become who we are called to be. All of us do and left to our own devices we're humans and we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go off the track we just will
1: yeah i mean it's a point about permissiveness like not only on a a personal level what do you want to allow yourself to do but on a societal level And, and you know we look at city of seattle state of washington it's a very permissive society and there isn't that voice saying no this is too far it seems like at least, uh, especially on the local level here in Seattle, we we haven't reached that point where collectively as a society, we society, we say this is too far. I, I just don't think we've reached that point yet.
0: Yeah. And I get it. We, we like to question authority. And I think that there's that there's good things about that. We should question authority. No question about it. And we I think we also have a tendency to really push back against legalism and rules and i think there's good things about that as well and i mean i grew up in a yeah you know, a little bit of a legalistic house and so i understand that um and understand how we can there there's some things that really you know really aren't f- free um but really finding the balance in a society where you have the guardrails <laughs> where you have the accountability so that we're not just taking our life down into the hole. But we have that balance between finding freedom and accountability. And it's interesting, Max, because it used to be, I've thought about this a lot back in the, let's say the forties and the 1940s, 1950s, sixties. And and I think a lot of what we see of this permissiveness comes out of a, a, a lot of reaction. We like to react to things. I think, every all of us as humans we react and so we make decisions out of reactiveness and i think a lot of the permissiveness we see is is in reaction so like the 1940s 50s 60s where you had a little more of a legalistic culture in america and back then the the legalism came from religious people it came from people who said this is this is the way that you should live. And and legalism goes beyond just you living a certain way. Legalism goes beyond and says this is now how you should live. I'm not going to just live this way, now you need to live this way as well. And so that used to be kind of the way it was. The legalists were the religious people back in the day. And and so there was a there was a reaction and I think some of it rightly so because I don't like legalism. Um I think we should all, again, live in a good way with accountability and, and and be good to our fellow humans. But a lot of the permissiveness came from a reaction to that. But what's interesting, Max, is now we have a new legalism. There's a new legalism today, and it doesn't come from the religious people. You don't actually see a lot of legalism now from the religious side. That's almost disappeared, which is amazing crazy to think about all that legalism from the religious side of in the 20th century is almost gone, but it's been replaced by secular legalism. So now the secular legalism has, has replaced that. So the people now who are saying, um, this is how you should live. I'm not going to just live this way, but you should live this way too. And they now enforce their legalism on you. So that has now been replaced, uh, by the religious people. Now the secular people do that, and it's a it's a it's a new legalism. It's pretty pretty fascinating.
1: No, and that's a great point you make, Tim. You know, we we play countless examples on the show. Uh, you have people, uh, you know, trying to force the people more so on the left trying to force their hyper inclusive values uh, on everyone. And you know, I, at least here in the northwest, yeah, I, I'm involved in a Christian church community here, and it's everybody is so open-minded, willing to accept any and everybody, but not trying to force values, but coming the other way. Yeah, these these secular people that are just saying, you have to see it how we see it, or you're a bigot. That's kind of the the society. I know that's the extreme side of it, but that's a big part of the society that we're a part of now.
0: Yeah, well, just the, the secular legalists, they don't see that they actually uh, rebelled against the re- religious legalists, but they're actually taking it in many ways a step further but they don't see you know the the hypocrisy there right they don't see that they've actually are doing the same thing that they didn't like originally and that's just kind of the the new world that we're living in max let's find out what else is trending what's trending the drug crisis the zombie apocalypse the san francisco is on track to crush overdose death record as Addicts die on the street. San Francisco is poised to surpass a record-breaking year for overdose deaths. There were 563 overdose fatalities in the Golden City between January 1st and August 31st, according to a recent report from the San Francisco Chief Medical Examiner. This puts the city on track to hit 845 overdose fatalities in 2023. The San Francisco Chronicle reported this far surpassing the record 725 in 2020. Tom Wolf, former drug user and current recovery advocate, said there's so much fentanyl that it's contaminated other drugs sold on the street, like meth and crack cane. He said it's in everything right now. And we, we've got this audio. Uh, Ricky's a former addict who advocates for recovery in San Francisco. He says the area can be very dangerous
2: with these individuals they'll be carrying baseball bats they'll be carrying pipes knives what what have you any type of weapon and they're really in a moment of psychosis to where they are not making sense they're screaming obscenities they're whatever and you have to walk past that right Um, people have to walk past that and they have to deal with it and so it's kind of jarring and, and, and can be really you know traumatizing to some people especially young children
0: he also says progress on the streets is for a moment but but it's quickly fading out
2: after i made the video down here with the children it, it created such a ruckus that they put up these fences like kind of like again a grandstand to try to act like they were going to do something and i actually almost fell for it i was like oh man we're having a policy change we're gonna be doing a little bit better out here and uh it just didn't turn out like that it's just back to the business as usual um as soon as Brooke Jenkins got elected, it's like she should carry her spot, so who cares?
0: Let's find out what else is trending.
2: What's trending?
0: Crime. Police are sounding the alarm on the rise in thefts across western Washington. On Sunday, Bellevue police, they gave away steering wheel locks as a deterrent and a way for people to protect themselves against these crimes. People, Police said oftentimes these cars... That are stolen end up being used in other crimes. Victims of car theft said it was a devastating loss and they wish they could have done more to prevent it. What do you think, Max? What do you think about this? Bellevue is giving out. (laughs) I've got some mixed feelings about this here, Max. They're giving out these deterrents, giving out these steering wheel locks. Again, it just kind of reminds me that we focus, we don't focus on prevention, we focus on after things have been done. Then then we'll figure out solutions. Uh.
1: <laughs> yeah, a perfectly prime example of, you know, after the fact, trying to, to go in and make something happen. The first thing that comes to mind here, though, is you know, those steering wheel locks are expensive, right? Those are expensive to just be giving those away for free. And I understand a city like Bellevue does have more resources at its disposal than maybe some of the other cities. But, you know, I, I guess if I lived in Bellevue and knew this was going on, I'd probably go get one. I'm, I park my car on the street every single day. I, I live in Queen Anne and I'm not overly worried about car theft, but I, it's hard to deter anybody who does have those concerns, and it kind of just is another point that illustrates where we are, uh, not only uh, on a societal action level, but also on a, a, a policy level that a, a government agency wants to do this after the fact. They'll they'll give away the steering wheel locks, but they they don't seem to want to go after the people that are stealing the cars.
0: I wish they would give out uh, windows, free windows. If I had a if I had a nickel. Max, for every time I have had my window smashed, when I when I lived in Belltown, and I started actually, uh, at first I started just leaving my car open uh, with nothing in it because I'd get my window smashed and, you know, I'd get stuff stolen. And then I started taking anything that was valuable out, but then I'd get my window smashed. So then I started leaving it, it open, unlocked. And it would still get smashed. <laughs> and then I decided, you know what? I got to just roll my windows down here and leave them down because I'm tired of going to – what's that one place you always go to? Rotor – no. Um, what's the – what's that one place they always – they repair your windows? You oh, know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah. The I don't know the name off yeah. the top of
0: my head. But-, but I was getting to know those guys pretty well. We became buddies. We were friends. So – yeah,
1: I, I got I got a question for you, Tim. Are, are you a, a conspiracy theories guy at all?
0: <laughs> I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. So, the,
1: so this is something I, it was last year. I remember when I when I was driving up here, I had just ac- accepted the job to be Jason's producer. And I was listening to the show driving through the middle of nowhere, Utah or something, I think. And he made an assertion, I think, as a joke. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to tell with him Um, that these glass companies we're in on on this crime spree you know the <laughs> all these smash and grabs it was really these glass repair yeah. people, because, I mean, man, they're probably doing crazy
0: business. Oh my goodness. The, I mean, crazy I, business.
1: Yeah, I think there was a, a, a news story that, that featured this, I think, and they, they talked to one of the guys that was running one of the, the glass repair businesses, but it's like thousands of dollars when these storefronts get busted. I, I figure, you know, I mean, how much did it cost you to, to get your car window replaced? Hundred bu- uh, Several hundred bucks, maybe a thousand bucks. I don't know how much the glass costs, but, I mean, those guys are truly, other than the criminals obviously, the glass repair guys are the only ones that are actually winning in these
0: scenarios they are doing big business big business let's find out what else is trending what's trending on the road state patrol asked drivers to slow down after 77 crashes in king county alone we we're talking about that now i don't know if this is due to uh marijuana or or rain but uh, there's a lot of crashes happening right now. Robert, he's a local tow-tuck driver. He says one day of rain can cause major problems.
1: One day of rain could be, you know, a few fatalities and a few
0: hundred cars. He also points out some of the problem areas when it rains.
1: 405-167 interchange is a bad area. The Puyallup 512
2: is quite, you know, another one.
0: Have you noticed driving being more difficult around here and and drivers are they're not as good as they once were I mean you're from here Max
1: yeah I I mean you think by now that every time it rains there's a story like like we ran these stories last week when it when it rained there was a huge uptick and I just think people are on their phones man people are on their phones when they're driving unbelievable I I just think you know but let's trace it back to one of the big problems police are understaffed around here how often do you see a traffic patrol officer wherever you live that you know when i moved here that was one of the biggest things i noticed there's not speed traps there's not officers camping out watching to see if people are texting Uh, you know i'll admit i'm on my phone sometimes when i'm driving i think people are just more distracted in the car than ever before and I, i think it leads to some problems on the roadways and especially when it rains obviously you have a little bit less reaction time but Gosh, Tim, you would hope by now people that have lived here for a long time would know how to drive in the rain. But time and time again, we get we get proven wrong.
0: (laughs) Coming up after the break, John Scholes, the CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association, will join us. He'll talk about the city budget and the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. You want to stay with us. Our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn, Nun Better Tax Resolution, is growing and looking for tax specialists. If you're passionate about fighting for taxpayers and interested, then give Greg Nunn a call, 425-947-1967. Hey, okay, we want to welcome you back to the program. This is Tim Gatos, guest hosting today. Glad you're with us and glad to be welcoming John Scholes, the CEO and president of the Downtown Seattle Association. John, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks, Tim. Good afternoon.
0: Hey, how you doing? I'm
3: Okay. Yeah. Fall, fall is here in the city of Seattle. <laughs> fall,
0: yeah, man.
3: it been through our first
0: rainy day. Did you know my two favorite words? My Actually, my I'm sorry. My two least favorite words in the dictionary are, are atmospheric river.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. Thankfully, we're not there yet. This yeah. your run-of-the-mill Seattle drizzle today. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a good run. It was a good summer and a good September.
0: It was. Hey, appreciate you joining us today. And we talked earlier in the program about the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, the Partnership for Zero, about a year and a half. This got some pretty good, you know, Pretty good pub. Some good promotion. There was a lot of anticipation about this. A lot of corporations coming together, saying, "Man, this is this is going to be significant. We're going to eliminate visible homelessness." It was announced last week that it is uh, no longer. Of course, a lot of folks, you know, like, oh, what happened here? Give it. What's what's your reaction, John?
3: Well, it's disappointing, but all not all that surprising, given the limited activity that we saw from the Regional Homelessness Authority and actually implementing the plan that they developed and announced in February of uh, 2022. And I I think it was the right plan, it was the right approach and strategy, but it was executed in all the wrong ways. Uh, A lot of people were hired to do outreach with folks on the streets in downtown, but they were really never assigned to the downtown area. They were assigned to a number of other projects and those might've been worthy endeavors, but they weren't the endeavor Uh, that the authority announced and committed to uh, back in February of 2022. So uh, the authority, if they want to be seen as the leader in addressing homelessness in the region, I think still needs to have a plan and an approach for dealing with the region's highest concentration of homelessness, which is in downtown Seattle. If they want to be taken seriously, they need to have a serious plan for downtown Seattle and the people that are suffering on the streets still.
0: Now I haven't talked to since this came out last week. I haven't talked to uh, Auburn Mayor Nancy Backus or Kent Mayor Dana Ralph. I've talked with both of them in the past. They they had a lot of um, I don't know if skepticism, pessimism, but you know they really didn't know if they wanted to put their own city dollars into this King County plan because they just weren't sure how it was going to get appropriated if they had the right strategy and I've got to believe they're they're kind of like, okay, yeah, th- this is why we were really concerned when when this was getting put together,
3: yeah, and I think whether it's in this plan or in their own plan, frankly, the cities outside of Seattle need to be doing more to address the homelessness crisis throughout our county and the homelessness crisis that's certainly present in Tuwskee County. And and, and many of them have, including cities on the east side. But historically, Seattle has picked up the tab for the region's homelessness crisis. Uh, And we know that the city of Seattle and nonprofits and other entities in the city of Seattle um, are taking care of people that became homeless in other parts of King County. Uh, So I I think whether it's this plan or their own plan, they ought to be investing more. And I think, you know, everybody's right to be a little cynical and skeptical, perhaps, of government creating more government in another agency to take on a crisis that has been declared an emergency for many, many years, and we seem to be going in the wrong direction uh, and spending more and more money to uh, address it. Um, I do think there's some merit still in coordinating among the various jurisdictions and cities in King County on a single approach, Um, but there's um, certainly not merit in turning your back and walking away on the region's largest population of those experiencing homelessness, which is in downtown Seattle, and just saying, well, we didn't succeed. We spent the money elsewhere, and it's time to wind down the program. Now is not the time to wind down anything. Now is the time to double down on efforts to get people off the street, particularly given the fentanyl crisis that is now intertwined with the homelessness crisis. Uh, Drug overdoses were the leading cause of death among people living outside in King County last year for the first time ever. Yeah. And we ought to be addressing these dual crises with much more urgency focus um, and oversight and sound management than what we've seen in recent months and years
0: one of the things that I've always just kind of scratched my head at and I've been I certainly haven't been in depth involved um, but I have at at varying levels over the years and it seems like in in many cases, And maybe it's just, I just, I don't hear other people talking about it, but I I don't ever hear people, it it seems like there's a focus on the problem rather than a focus on the person. And it seems like, like for instance, with the how, and we could discuss the housing first philosophy. And if that's the right philosophy, (laughs) I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily is. If you give someone who's struggling and has had years long struggle with abuse and addiction. And, and that isn't going to necessarily solve that problem. And it seems like there's not a lot of conversation about how we can focus on the person rather than we just focus on the problem. And for the folks who are on the street, there's been, you know, many studies and surveys done. So many, I mean, 90% of them have over the course of their life have dealt with not only Unfortunately, and it's sad, child abuse, sexual abuse, addiction, and all the in a, in a range of issues, traumatic issues. And it doesn't seem like that's really on the conversation piece. It seems like, hey, if we can just get housing, we're going to solve this problem. To me, that doesn't meet the smell test.
3: Yeah, we know that there's a lot of trauma behind uh People's experience in being out on the streets, and we know that the population in downtown Seattle, a majority, eighty-plus percent, is are individuals who are chronically homeless, meaning they've been on the streets for a number of years and have had a have have had a number of episodes of homelessness, and they're dealing with behavioral health issues, uh, sometimes co-occurring with substance use disorder and mental health issues. Uh, So this is a population facing a lot of trauma and a lot of challenges, and we ought to be. Uh, understanding them at an individual level. We ought to be offering a range of services and a range of of housing types. I think one of the errors of the Partnership for Zero plan was not enough investment in, you know, enhanced 24-hour shelter, because sometimes folks that have been on the street for three, four, five years aren't ready to, you know, take the keys to an apartment on the fifth floor of a building uh, with limited services and case management. They need to You know, be transitioned into an enhanced shelter where they can get stabilized, get their medical and hygiene needs addressed, get used to sleeping between four walls and under a roof uh, before having the keys to their own apartment. So I think this effort sort of fell into the usual traps of of the political debates over our tiny house is good or bad and how much of this or that should we do when we know we need a really a range of options because we've got a range of of, um, individuals and with a range of needs out on the street and certainly trauma. Uh, is a big part of that.
0: Has there been one group organization approach or strategy? If someone asked you, John, give us the, when you think of the, the best group or organization or approach or strategy that you've seen in this conversation, what would you say?
3: I've certainly, you know, been impressed with the Salvation Army and what they've been doing. I visited their enhanced shelter down in Soto. Uh, not too long ago, and then met with their team in, in downtown. Um, they've got a number of vans throughout the county um, that are doing street-based outreach. They've got computers and other supplies uh, at the back of their van so they can get people connected to um, uh, services and understand who they are and what they need, get them applied for IDs and other um, documentation that they need to access systems. And then they're able to get them into enhanced shelters, the um, the 24-hour one I mentioned Earlier in Soto, and then once they become stable there, they're able to help um, them find permanent housing in um, in other parts of the city and, and county. And it's that sort of throughput that we need uh, in the system, from the streets to the enhanced shelter to a more permanent home. And there's certainly other you know nonprofits in our community that are doing great work uh, as well. But um, we need to be very intentional and um, focused on. Um, the folks were trying to reach. I thought the beauty of the Partnership for Zero plan was that it put a, uh, a, a circle around a specific geography and said, we're going to focus on this area and we're going to get to know who's on the streets in this part of our city and, and county. We're going to understand their needs. We're going to understand who talked to them last. Uh, and we're going to continue to provide engagement and offer services, shelter, and housing. That was the right approach. It just didn't happen. And so we spent a lot of money in hiring people and asking them to go do other things, but not the thing that we said was the most important thing when
0: it comes to homelessness in the region. Have you heard from anyone who was part of that, let's say a corporation, that was like, man, just super frustrated by the the results of this?
3: Yeah, I think everybody's frustrated. And certainly the philanthropic community that stepped up and the business community that stepped up with, you know, 10 or so million dollars um, around a plan that was – well-defined, but again, um, poorly executed. And uh, I, I don't think anybody's happy with uh, the results, which have been limited. Yeah.
0: We're talking to John Scholes, CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association. John, you wrote an op-ed yesterday in the Seattle Times, along with Rachel Smith of the Seattle Chamber. It said, Seattle, you have a spending problem. <laughs> and it chronicled uh, what's happening in our in our city and, and the rise of the city budget. It's gone up 94% certainly it segues into what we just talked about, but give us the, give us the hard facts about what's happening and your concerns with the city budget and the future right now.
3: Yeah, I think for too long, the city of Seattle and particularly the city council has sort of measured its success in addressing problems in the city by how much money we're spending. Uh, And if, if we could only raise another tax or increase the taxes in place, that would signify some sort of success. But, Anybody in Seattle who's paying attention to the fentanyl crisis or the homelessness crisis that we were just talking about or or public safety uh, knows that simply spending more money um, isn't delivering the results that we all want. And over the last decade, the city of Seattle has increased its budget by 100 percent, far outpacing growth in the city's population and employment growth over that period. But we still hear the same calls from City Hall if we only had another tax or if we could only raise this one further. We would eventually get around to solving the most important problems that the voters have identified for us to address Um, and I think we should be addressing. The most important problems with the first dollars, not the last dollars into city coffers voters and businesses. And property owners, um, both commercial and residential, in the city of Seattle have been incredibly generous over the last decade, approving countless number of levies uh, to fund uh, services. And the council's increased taxes above and beyond those voter-approved levies, including a $300 million corporate tax that was adopted in 2021 that's actually raising more than they anticipated. But we're still hearing the same refrain from some at City Hall that say, oh, now we need more money and we need more taxes. And I think that's just the the wrong approach at the wrong time. It's going to be a tax on downtown's recovery if we're levying more business taxes in Portland, just uh, this last week, uh, they adopted a tax break. If businesses locate in their downtown and sign uh, leases to occupy space, that's how we grow the tax base and tax revenue by attracting more companies uh, and investment in the downtown that are going to pay taxes that are already in place, not by raising more taxes on the folks who are already there and, We just have an insatiable appetite, it seems, in Seattle to want to raise more and more taxes.
0: Well, I tell you, I hope uh, City Hall is reading uh, your op-ed. It was a fantastic op-ed. And and I tell you, doing a great job, John. Really appreciate you taking the time to join us today.
3: Great to be with you, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's John Scholes, CEO and President of the Downtown Seattle Association. Coming up at 445, you pick the news. Story number one, John Fetterman, sarcastic sweatshirt inflation tweet backfires with fact check. Or story number two, is it time to ban babies from planes? Let us know what story you want to hear. Text STORY1 or STORY2 to one 800 465 8770. That's 1 800 465 8770. Your favorite story coming after this on The Jason Ranch Show.
2: You picked the topic on The Jason Ranch Show.
0: Hey, welcome back to The Jason Ranch Show. This is Tim Gatos, guest hosting for Jason. Jason is traveling and he has got his new book coming out tomorrow, What's Killing America? You picked the news. They picked it. They did?
1: Yeah, they picked it. They want to talk about uh, banning babies on airplanes. Are you
0: Come on, man. Are you serious? Yeah. What it What is going on in the world today? Banning babies from planes. That's <laughs> That's the one you picked. I tell you what. My goodness sakes. This is uh this is a big conversation in fact, there's a airline in Europe that they just started selling adult only sections of the plane so just like uh probably like the what the mariners t-mobile or something they've got the adult only section you know which is where max is going tonight but
1: and that makes it sound bad when you say it adults only i think I think it's a no kids section it's not a, an adult uh content section of the of the flight yeah I think, I that's, think right. that's right that's
0: right that's right that's right that's good 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 job max i like that so there's this uh airline in europe and here's what they're going for and so a lot of people are now wondering are are we gonna is it time to ban babies from planes and there's some who say you can't uh bring a baby on board if it's under like a newborn like under seven days or a month or two months more airlines are starting to do that
1: yeah united airlines says uh, if your infant's younger than seven days old you can't fly um I, I mean that makes sense right you wouldn't want like a fresh i feel like parents need to have the common sense in that situation anyways but i'm sure you run into any number of situations when you work for these airlines or uh, where, where people try to do all kinds of different things
0: well as a uh, as a as a dad to four kids i mean and i've flown um numerous <laughs> lots of times with babies and of course uh you know your kids are fussy crying you know that it's man the the pressure the pressure goes up on you in those circumstances people are looking at you they're they're not happy with you but i i tell you i mean we we've got to be a, a a society that that values uh, family and children, and that's just who we should be. I mean, we—that's the—that's the future, right, Max?
1: Yeah, but all—all all the same, like you're on a, a cross country flight. Let's say you're flying from Seattle to New York, Seattle to Miami, and you know a four, or five hour flight. Sometimes you know longer, depending on where you're going, and you got a kid. That's sitting behind you. That's crying the whole time. It's making no, you can't hear your movie on your AirPods. Uh, People get frustrated and you see however many videos on on social media, Tim, of people having these outbursts on these airplanes. They're stuck. They're cramped. The temperature isn't right. The little air vent isn't blowing at you on the right angle. You're irritable on these flights, Tim. And you add (laughs) babies in making loud noise. Adults get grumpy as the babies get grumpy. I, you know, I, I don't want to be somebody that's anti family. I'm not trying to say, I, you know, I don't want babies around. You know, good for you. I'm sure it's a blessing to your family and, and all that. Uh, but all the same, I, I understand the argument for people wanting peace and comfort uh, on a flight. I'm not Jason. He always talks about sitting in first class. This is not a problem that he has. This is a coach problem. But that's why I feel like I, I'm more than qualified to speak on it, right?
0: Uh, so you're saying you're anti-family? That's I, what you're saying. I, I guess if you want,
1: if, if you want to paint that picture uh, the, the, that I'm anti-family, then fine. I just I, I understand where these people are coming yeah. from. Yeah. And you know you feel it's like it's almost like secondhand embarrassment. You ever watch somebody try to parallel park on a busy street, and you're like, oh my gosh, I hope they get this right. Yeah. You, you know you're you're thinking about the parents like. Oh, man, I really feel for them. Like, that kid is just going crazy. They're doing all the right things. Like, they're comforting him. They gave him the bottle. They gave him the iPad. And this kid is still just throwing a tantrum. And You know, I'm sure the flight attendants feel some of that. I, you know, it just it adds that that uncomfortableness to the flight that, you know, you're paying a lot of money for airline tickets these days. You know, you should... Uh, be afforded luxuries but you know all the same you can't you can't flip the op- off switch on the kid that's crying I, I do i'm very well aware of that as, as someone who has zero children yeah uh, i You're know that, passionate
0: about this max I,
1: i'm just saying i <laughs> we talk about airline related issues we play the flight meltdown clips on this show quite a lot so I, you know we, we've got a lot of background on this I, i'm curious what what the texters think though uh text in do you think Flights would be, I, I don't think they're ever actually going to ban babies on flights, right, Tim? I don't think that's ever going to happen. But do you think you would be happier on your flight if there was zero crying kids? And I, I think just about every single person in the world would answer yes.
0: Yeah. So let, let us know. 1 800 465 8770. Speaking of airports and airplanes, did you see this? David Brooks, he's a columnist for the New York Times. He put out a. Uh, a tweet last week. It got, oh, my goodness, I think 50 million views. I mean, unbelievable because people were just ratioing him like crazy. But he took a picture, a burger fry and a bourbon. He says, 78 bucks, airport meal. And people were like, 78 bucks? How much was your bourbon? My goodness gracious. Probably top
1: shelf. That's why it was so expensive. I mean, <laughs> Airport food's ridiculous. Uh, that's a rant for another day
0: though. <laughs> Hey, this is Tim Gatos, guest hosting for Jason Rantz on the Jason Rantz Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back on 770-KTTH.